Hello, and welcome to Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study. Today, July 19th, 2020. Today's study will be led by Catherine Schertz, reading from Alma 32 to 35. I am Christian Kimball, conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin and Rebecca Deschweinitz, are participating today in the background and may show up from time to time, reading scripture and otherwise making this work. Let me take a few minutes for dialogue business. Our entire 50 plus year run of the Dialogue Journal, scholarship, personal essays, poetry, art, sermons, and more, including our most recent issue, are all available free online at dialoguejournal.com. There you can find links to other features, including our podcasts and our previous Gospel Study Sunday study sessions, these sessions, both video and audio. And of course, the donate link as free online also means dialogue depends on contributions. Regarding today's program, we are using our webinar format as we have been for weeks now. That format does not allow you to interrupt or to see each other, but does allow the large number of participants we have and does allow you to chat and pose questions. We will have questions and an opportunity for discussion today and uh, ask that you participate by that chat. When there is time, we will pull comments and questions from that chat. We are recording this session, running a live stream on Facebook at the same time. The Zoom session and the Facebook live stream are not synced and they're not equally reliable, and we ask your tolerance. Today, I'm particularly pleased to introduce Catherine Schertz as our teacher. First, our standard We asked Catherine based on her talents. We did not ask her to represent dialogue, and we certainly did not ask and do not expect her to represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have known Catherine since I was a college student, which is two or three years ago. I will spare you stories from that past, however, and introduce Catherine by her remarkable achievements. Catherine H. Schertz holds master's degrees from Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Divinity School where she focused on American church history. She has presented at Mormon History Association conferences, BYU Women's Conferences, the Church History Symposium, Sunstone, and Fair Mormon. She co-authored a trial furnace, Southern Utah's Iron Mission, with her late father-in-law, Morris A. Schertz. Her article on the historical development of the priesthood-motherhood model received the 2019 MHA Award for Best Article on Mormon Women's History. She and her husband, Randy, recently returned from his church education system mission in Raleigh, North Carolina, where they were excited to be among the first to teach church history using saints, the standard of truth. They are the parents of six uniquely wonderful children, and they have seven grandchildren. Before today's lesson, we will enjoy Jesus Christ, the Apple Tree by Elizabeth Poston and an opening prayer by Gloria Gardner-Reese. Gloria Gardner-Reese is an educator, nutritionist, and has training in gerontology, cultural communication, and integral adult development. She has taught in Alaska, Utah, China, India, and Nepal, and currently lives in Marin County, California, where she is involved in interfaith and prison ministry work with her husband, Bob. She is also the mother of six and grandmother of 10. Michael, uh, if you can cue the music, then we'll pray to Eternal parents, we are so 
delighted with the spirit of Christ and the beauty of that music and the message. We're prayerful that our hearts may be open and reflective and that we may feel the grace that is ours for the asking and that we may ask many times for clarification, revelation, understanding, and have the faith that it will be ours. We pray that we may have mercy on one another, particularly in these times of division, that we may find the unity and the, the grace that unites us all, the, the good-heartedness that will help us to be open to intuition and the, the Holy Ghost that can help us reimagine and ourselves in the ways of Christ and those teachings and the things that are really of matter. Uh, we pray thy blessings upon Catherine with her message that it may flow through her in ways that uh, are in, in full sync with your spirit. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm on, right? Great. Okay. So I've been a fan, a real fan of Dialogue uh, Sunday School for a couple of months now. And it's a real honor to be part of this experience. So thank you for inviting me. Um, today we're talking about Alma 32 through 35. And these are Alma and Amulek's very intriguing sermons on gaining spiritual knowledge. So the backstory is that. Um, they have gone to see the Zoramites praying, and they're appalled by the exclusivity um, and the self-righteousness of the Zoramites. And so uh, Alma goes off and offers this deep, sincere prayer, and as a result, he has the spirit of the Lord, and he takes his companions with him, and he goes out on the streets to preach to the poor. Uh, so there's a large multitude of the poor that gather, um, that hear him preaching and have a question for him, and their question is, how can we worship God if we're excluded from the synagogues? And so he says something like, you can worship God anywhere, anytime, anywhere, there are no limits. Uh, but he spends most of his time addressing a question that they didn't ask. It's what's his on, mind, on his mind and what he wants to talk about. Um, so he says, people are saying, if you will show us a sign from heaven, then we will know of a surety, and then we'll, we will believe. Uh, and this is kind of what he's mulling over in his mind is how to respond to this. Why doesn't God provide us with knowledge of his existence that it would be obvious to everybody, a sign that everybody can see? So Alma briefly suggests one reason, and his reason is we're accountable for what we know, and perhaps we can't handle that kind of knowledge to start out with. But then he stops giving reasons, <laughs> And he moves on to what he presents as a superior way to receive knowledge, and that's through faith. So Alma says that faith begins with a desire to believe. And if you nourish that belief, it will enlarge your soul and expand your mind in ways that are discernible. And those ideas and feelings will give you knowledge. So coming from a Western intellectual tradition, as we are, it's easy to see the problems with this approach. Uh, Alma seems to be encouraging us to start with what we want to be true, 
and then to reinforce it. And cognitive psychologists um, warn us about the tendency to uh, just accept only the facts that fit into our worldview. That's what we, we tend to do anyway. Is this a good way to pursue truth? Uh, as one of my friends said, this is not a real experiment. <laughs> so and there are other problems. Uh, one is the effects of faith are discernible. Uh, Alma tells us they're discernible, but not in most cases overwhelming. Um, they're personal, they're subjective. Um, we're the only ones that witness our experience. There's nobody else to back us up. How reliable is that? It seems that uh, Alma's approach to gaining knowledge through faith is less convincing and less solid than the kind of knowledge that everybody can see. Um, but of course, the kind of knowledge that uh, works best when we're asking questions about the natural universe um, doesn't address some of the most important questions. And Alma's questions are really in that category. Uh, but there's one more problem, and that's that he doesn't really tell us what the seed is. He uses lots of metaphors, but he really doesn't say what he's talking about. Um, he doesn't do that until the next chapter, to Alma 33. So let's start out on Alma 33, uh, and his, with his last two, the last two verses of his sermon, where he tells us what he's really talking about. Okay, Rebecca, can you read that for us? Cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people, and that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins, and that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection, that all men shall stand before him to be judged at the last and judgment day, according to their works. And then keep going to the next slide. And now, my brethren, I desire that you shall plant this word in your hearts. And as it beginneth to swell, even so nourish it by your faith. And behold, it will become a tree, springing up in you unto everlasting life. And then may God grant unto you that your burdens may be light through the joy of his Son. And even all this can ye do if ye will. Amen. Okay, Michael, would you, there we go, move it back there. Uh, you can tell my notes are on this side, so my eyes keep shifting over there. Um, so this is the word that Elm was talking about. Uh, and there are a lot of believing that phrases in there, believing that there will be a resurrection, believing that there will be a last judgment. But all of these believing that's are subsidiary to the believing in, believing in the Son of God. Um, and that's, that's primarily what he's talking about. That's, that's the seed he wants us to plant. So I propose that we can best understand the knowledge that Alma is describing in the previous chapter, chapter 32, as this believing in kind of knowledge, the kind that we gain in and through personal relationships. We can desire to know someone better. We can nurture that relationship, and we can do this by communicating with them. Some forms of communication are clearer than others. Some are subtle. Sometimes we get miscues. Uh, but this communication begins to tell us if this person that we're getting to know is reliable, if it's someone we can trust, um, if it's someone that will stick around for us. Um, so feelings and impressions are involved in getting to know someone and they can be ephemeral, but in their totality, 
in the totality of these communications, we say that we could get to know someone. And in some cases, we can even build a relationship that's firm and solid. And this is exactly the way the Savior talks about knowledge. Uh, he says, for this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And in the Doctrine and Covenants, if you receive me in the world, then you shall know me, and shall receive your exaltation, that where I am, you shall be also. So if we go back to Alma 32 and read it with the relationship model of knowledge in mind, I think it makes a lot more sense, and, and it can ring truer to us. Uh, because God is the only one who can prove uh, himself to us. Um, so it's interesting that the scriptures that um, tell us about the light of Christ say that the light of Christ enlightens everyone that comes into the world. And so people can respond to that light by telling the truth, by keeping commitments, by valuing and caring for others. And so there's a sense in which people that do that kind of thing, that respond to Christ's spirit, know him, even if they don't know about him. Um, and the parable of the king in Matthew 25 kind of works according to this kind of, this kind of idea. So all the nations of the world are gathered, and among them there are lots of people that have been out there feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting people in prison. Um, and they're generally, they're really surprised when the Savior says to them, uh, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. In a sense, you've known me, even though you haven't realized it. Um, but the scriptures also talk about the Holy Ghost bearing witness to Christ himself, to the one who sends the light. Uh, in 3 Nephi 11, we read Christ saying, I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. So um, the scriptures tell us that through faith in Christ, through acknowledging our weakness, through promising to set out on the path to become like him, like we do in baptism, we can experience a whole wider, broader, deeper, different range of feelings and emotions um, and insights that can tell us about more about who he is. Uh, and some of these emotions, there's the imagery of baptism of fire. It can be a little candle, that's a fire, <laughs> that works. It could be a bonfire. Um, but there, there are different emotions um, that accompany the Holy Ghost based in what we learn from the light of Christ, but, but extending and deepening that. Uh, and, and really the Book of Mormon is thrown through a textbook about how to get to know God about personal revelation, about how to receive the Holy Ghost and experience those feelings and what it takes to do that and what it feels like, as much as you can tell what something feels like by reading about it from someone else. And because we all learn in different ways, the Book of Mormon has a variety of ways to do this. There are scriptural discourses, there are personal narratives about people having these experiences, and then there's metaphors like the seed. Um, so, Alma tells us to look forward with an eye of faith to the fruit of the tree that we are planting through faith in Christ. So what I'd like to do is look first at the fruit, because he's telling us to look forward to it, look first at the fruit, and then to go back to talk about the process. So uh, this is our next slide, and uh, 
let's have Christian read this one. And this one is just one slide. Yes, Alma 32, 42. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience with the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, and which is white above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure, and ye shall feast upon this fruit, even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. This is very similar to uh, the kind of experience had, um, that Nephi describes when he has his vision of the tree of life. Uh, the same kind of fruit. He talks about the sweetness and the whiteness and the happiness and the joy and the feasting and the continual, the possibility of continual feasting. Uh, same kind of imagery. They're really remarkably similar. Um, and describe something that we really would desire, that we really would want, and and want everyone we know to share. Um, Lehi wants, especially wants his family to partake of this, this same sweetness, um, and that's uh, that's what the choir was singing in the song we just heard, which I loved, which is is an old, the the music is new, but the words are, are older, and uh, also had that sense. The tree of life, my soul hath seen laden with fruit and always green the trees of nature fruitless be compared with christ the apple tree um i think that that the one thing about it that we, we tend to kind of pause on is this idea of whiteness uh that, that's kind of a loaded phrase these days especially about the way that it's used in the book of mormon sometimes uh but i really like marvin pervin's per, uh, marvin marvin perkins insight that the way the scriptures use white um, indicates a spiritual state, not a skin color. I mean, none of us are white or variations of that. We're all variations of earth toned. Um, and so uh, when, you, when you think about white in scientific terms, white reflects all the colors of the visible spectrum to the eyes. So this kind of white is by its nature inclusive. And, and a white by through we see everything else, uh, a way to see all the other colors. Uh, and, and I like this way of, of looking at white. Uh, it takes a little bit of the sting out of it when we, whenever we see white, we're going. Uh, and I, I like this idea of, of seeing it scientifically. Um, and it's a much more inclusive view. Um, but concretely, what can tasting this white fruit, eating this white fruit, having this kind of relationship to the Savior, what can that mean concretely in our lives? Um, and I really like an essay by, essay by Tom Rogers. It was actually a Christmas sacrament meeting talk he gave, and it's included in his uh, book of essays, Let Your Hearts and Minds Expand. And in it, he says that the Spirit of the Lord, let's see, uh, he says the Spirit of the Lord is so um, powerful uh, and so delicious that if we've tasted it even a little bit, uh, we're really either um, insane or <laughs> I can't remember his other word because it's on my other screenshot, but uh, why aren't we doing this all the time? And so he concludes that because we aren't doing this, perhaps we are insane. But, um, but we're also, so this, these are some, some ways he talks about uh, how people are when they're fully, fully experiencing spirit. 
And of course, none of us really are fully, fully experiencing the spirit all the time in all these ways, but hopefully we can see ourselves as we are progressing in our relationship with the Lord uh, in some of these, some of the time. Uh, so uh, let's have, uh, let's see, it's Rebecca again, right? Let's have Rebecca read through these. And there are two slides in this, so there'll be this one and then the next slide. And uh, see what you think. How, how well does this describe what the fruit is like? Okay. We are serene and not duly worried, whatever our circumstances. We are grateful and less disposed to find fault. We sense that doing so would repel the spirit. We are more honest, one of far more finely calibrated scale than previously. Our conscience makes us so miserable when we even begin to violate our integrity that we quickly des desist. We are in control of our carnal appetites. This becomes both exhilarating and easy. We are more disposed to love others. Our minds are less on ourselves. On the next slide, we will keep going. The scriptures become wellsprings of insight that leap out at us with added significance. We readily and spontaneously fall to our knees, deeply and meaningful communing with the Lord because we crave his abiding presence. Everything that has otherwise seemed difficult or impossible is potentially resolved, including concerns that we have about our own duplicity or that of others. We fear neither death nor any other man, only God, but in the most positive sense. So I, I see these as, as goals, but as, but as things that we've, we've felt a little off in our lives. Um, I think that last one, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Uh, my family thinks of me as the COVID-19 police. If you open the door, you will put on your mask. <laughs> I, I've got lots of things on this earth I want to do right now. So I'm not quite there. But um, there is this wonderful uh, interview that uh, Morris West did. And he's this great um, Catholic novelist. I don't know if you're familiar with the things he's written, uh, The Shoes of the Fisherman, devil's advocate, clowns of God. Um, but he goes in for a routine physical and he finds out that he's got a serious heart problem and that uh, he needs surgery immediately. Uh, he's right on the verge of, of a heart attack. And so he's given three days and he's told that this is a you know, routine surgery. He's got 90% chance to survive, but, but then he's facing the 10%. <laughs> And, uh, and he talks about uh, governing his mind to 10%. Um, so people, right before surgery, people come and visit. And he says, my last visitor was the Roman Catholic chaplain who gave me the last rites. After he had gone, I had the strangest feeling. The act was a piety, good and appropriate. If I died, it would be in the house in which I was born. But somehow the act was also redundant. I realized that the symbol had become a reality. The relationship between myself and the creator was already settled. My personal imperfections had nothing to do with the matter. Alive or dead, I was resting in the hand of omnipotence. I knew with absolute conviction I could not fall out of it. Um, I love that. that. That's something I'd like to work forward to. Like to, like to have, like to have that kind of conviction. Um, so we have talked about um, the fruit. Uh, what it's like, what it can be like for us. 
So now let's go back to how we nourish that kind of relationship. Alma says it takes patience, it takes diligence, but how do we do it? So I have a couple of suggestions, uh, but when I'm talking about them, I'd like you to start thinking about it and posting your ideas on chat. Uh, how do you nourish your relationship with the Savior? What works for you? So I'm going to give you some ideas. We'd love to have yours, and then we'll have time to do that. So here's one of mine. This, this is probably one of the most important to me. So my process of nurturing the Word and coming into a relationship with Christ involves slowly working through my misperceptions. <laughs> um, when I was a seagull in primary, which tells you how long ago I was in primary, our teacher asked us all to bear our testimonies in sacrament meeting during the year. And I was really resistant to this because I thought, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is true. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I had enough integrity as this little sixth grader that I said, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I was, I was kind of suspicious of the testimonies that I'd heard born in church. I, I respected them and, and um, respected the people that were bearing them. But I found them somewhat vague and, and maybe a lot similar with each other and, and not particularly convincing. Uh, but uh, there was an apostle that lived in her ward. It was Mary Jeromney. He lived a couple of blocks away. And uh, he never really spoke in church. He kind of turned that over, turned the word over to the bishop, but he was always sitting on the stand, so I was really aware of him. Um, and we had a book at our house of his general conference talks. And I thought, well, I, I will read this book. It's our neighbor. It's someone I know. Um, and I noticed in these talks that he bore a very specific testimony at the end, the end of each talk that was relevant to his own experience and relevant to what he had said in the talk. And uh, so we all have our own ideas about what we can find convincing. That, that's the personal subjective part of all of this. But in his testimony at the end of a talk on the character of deity, um, it was kind of the clincher for me. It, 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 was, it was powerfully convincing in my mind. Um, and so I'm going to have Chris read um, his testimony at the end of this talk on the nature of God. Get off mute. Uh, this is Marion G. Romney. This is Marion G. Romney. In, in the character of deity. I'm trying to be clear about the, the uh, pronouns. This is <laughs> Marion G. Romney and not me. Uh, <laughs> not that I would, uh, anyway. Uh, in his great intercessory prayer, the Savior said, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Such knowledge is essential to exaltation. It is more than mental concept. It comes only through personal two-way communication with the Lord. It can be appreciated only by those who have experienced it. I bear you my witness that I do know with certainty, by the witness of the Holy Ghost, that the prophet's teachings concerning the form and character of God are true, and that in the same way and by my own experience, I know with certainty that we may converse with him as one man converses with another. So there we go, back to, uh, so when I read that, my response was, okay, this is real. Um, Marion Jeromney knows what he's talking about. Um, the Holy Ghost is real. Um, 
And my second thought was, I have no idea how to experience even a part of the Holy Ghost. I really don't know where to begin. Um, and I'm a really slow learner. So it, it took me a long time to figure out. I'm sure a lot longer than most. Um, and I think it's not because God was trying to withhold information from me. Uh, I don't think that God um, wants us to work hard at something a long time in order to earn it. <laughs> I think God's very willing to communicate with us um, as soon as, as he can. Um, I think he's eager, eager to give us his knowledge, but our misperceptions can get in the way. Uh, and there are misperceptions about who God is, what his nature is, how we can come to him. Uh, and I had a lot and still have a lot of misperceptions. Uh, my kind of junior high idea I'd, I'd read about Enos was the secret formula was to pray like Enos did. And so it needed to be out loud for a long time. All day would be good. Uh, and in some lone wilderness. Um, but we weren't a camping family and this was not going to happen. Um, but before I went out to the wilderness, which I really wasn't going to do, I needed to repent. And my idea about repenting was uh, I needed to go through a whole checklist of everything I thought I should be doing and everything I thought I shouldn't be doing. And when I finished that process of repentance, then I could pray to receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, and of course, we all know how that works, don't we? That was not a good idea. So uh, as I got older, my, my misperceptions became a little more sophisticated. So uh, the next one was something like, okay, you know, we can't, we don't have to do all the repenting before we can approach God. But in order to approach God, uh, you know, the scriptures say we need to offer our whole soul to God. And so I was going, boy, how do you do that? Um, you know, Peter said essentially the same to the Savior, and, and then obviously that didn't work out well. Um, you know, what, what does that mean to do that? And so um, I spent a lot of time on that one. Uh, and that kind of lasted until I hit some, you know, relatively hard times in my life. And, and I realized I wasn't doing particularly well with them. And possibly that was because I hadn't quite figured this out yet. And I didn't really have the spiritual resources I need, needed to deal with those kinds of things. So at that point, I said, uh, let's just go with faith and repentance. <laughs> let's just start there. And so there were, you know, some weeks of serious prayer. And in the middle of that, events transpired. And I was kind of confronted with a choice about something else entirely but I was being asked to do something different than I'd planned and different than my intentions were, different than I'd figured out the right way for me to proceed was. Um, and uh, so I was confronted with this choice, but I knew the right thing was to go in this different direction. And I just kind of inwardly went, okay, yes, I'm gonna do it the right way, I'm gonna be obedient. Um, and the next day I had this you know, rush of clarity and ideas and thoughts and joy and and a burning maybe on the candle end but but a real burning i thought wow um one act of obedience at a time what about that <laughs> you know for so for me that that was kind of a breakthrough that that it, i i got through these um misperceptions enough that that i could be open to what the lord was trying to tell me and uh, and and it did have a lot of those characteristics that sounded a lot like what I'd read about 
what the Holy Ghost was supposed to be like. And it's going, yeah, that's it. Um, Amma talks a lot about humility as a way to, um, to learn from the Lord, to deepen our relationship with the Savior. Um, so when I had these weeks when I was coming to a sense of my weakness and being really vulnerable with the Lord, um, at one point I had this image uh, kind of come to my mind. And it was an image of a picture of Christ's body being taken down from the cross. It was from uh, one of those international art exhibits that they have at the Church Museum of Art and History. Uh, it, was, it was a kind of an evocative picture. And, and I remember going from the picture in my mind to this, this real sense of the Savior's vulnerability, of his humility. Uh, of his willingness to be meek and lowly of heart. Um, and I, I sense that kind of underpinning my own vulnerability um, as if I were, were learning something new about God I had known before, that with his you know, infinite power uh, and infinite glory, that's also contained in this, this infinite humility and weakness and even vulnerability and that's what holds us and undergirds us in all our imperfections um like it says in the doctrine and covenants he who was above all things descended below all things to be in all things and through all things the light of truth for us um and and i had kind of a sense of that experientially um john gustav rathal uh who is just a font of wisdom I uh, wrote on one of his blogs uh, that Christ doesn't give us the higher law. He gives us himself. And I think I was kind of experiencing Christ giving me himself. Um, and and that, was, that was different than, than all the laws and perceptions that I, that I had been working through. Um, in the intercessory prayer in 3 Nephi, this is 3 Nephi chapter 19, verse 29, uh, the Savior prays for his disciples and he prays for everyone who believes on this word. So, of course, that includes us. Uh, and one of the phrases in that prayer is that he's praying to the Father, for those whom thou hast given me out of the world because of their faith, that they may be purified in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me. Um, this, this giving us himself to the extent that he can be in us as the father was in him, which is really pretty powerful, um, pretty overwhelming. Um, there are a lot of times in my life when I've been facing a problem or a concern, and I just really wish I could have, you know, Christ there in front of me, um, you know, as a person talking to that I could see, and he would give me the right advice. Uh, and essentially, that's what the disciples had. They had three years of Christ being with them, talking to them. And you get, you, get, you, yet you get the sense when you're reading the New Testament that, that that's not sufficient, that Christ is telling them he wants something more for them. He wants uh, them to have the same kind of relationship he has with the Father, uh, mediated through the Holy Ghost. He wants that to be in them. And that is, is even better than have, having him 
standing there in person and talking to them and answering their questions. Um, and I, I think that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about liberty in Christ. Um, the law can be our guide, um, but in the sacrament, when we promise to keep the commandments which he has given us, um, we're promising to do what he tells us to do personally. And as a result of that communication, the laws can help, they can kind of be a guide, but that communication is, is what enable us, enables us to have his spirit to be with us. Um, so um, that's one idea. Is I, I guess maybe the emphasis on that in terms of the preconceptions would be or misconceptions would, would be the really important thing is, is for us to try and, and understand as closely as we can what the scriptures are telling us and what our personal experience is telling us about who God really is and who we really are. Uh, I think that's the most important one. Um, so another idea. Uh, my process of nurturing the word, of nurturing my relationship to God includes asking questions. Um, specific questions, difficult questions, real questions. Uh, over and over in the scriptures, the Lord encourages to ask questions. Um, and I think for some people that's more important than others. For some people that, that may not be a, a predominant part of their relationship to the Lord. But I think for some of us, um, maybe a lot of us <laughs> that, that come to Dialogue Sunday School, that is, that is important. Um, and, uh, and, and really important. Uh, so there's a, I'm, I'm actually going to use some quotes that I'm going to bring up, but not quite yet, just in a, in a minute, uh, about what this can mean, what this kind of dialogue can mean. And there's, there's an article that Levina Fielding Anderson wrote. Um, it's called Loving the Questions, and it's her new book, Mercy Without End. Uh, and it's wonderful <laughs> about this idea of, of living with our questions. Um, just living with them before the Lord, living with them as we read. Um, sometimes we get answers. I get answers listening to podcasts. Uh, when we were teaching Institute, one of, the, one of our young single adults would come up with something and I was going, oh my word, that's it. You know, I, I think the Lord uses all these opportunities to just highlight things for us. Uh, and it can come from anywhere um, if we're loving the questions. But uh, Levina uh, uses one quote from a man named Leo Booth, and, and Michael, if you could bring this one up, uh, and maybe we could have uh, Rebecca talk about, I think it just beautifully says, the connection between our relationship with God and our questioning. Okay, this is from Levina, uh, who's quoting Leo Booth. Uh, when you use your critical uh, faculties to analyze, interpret, explore, and question, you discover new shades of meaning and greater richness in God's truth. Questioning and exploring are means of having a dialogue with God. To refuse to doubt, think about, question what you're told is to miss an opportunity to talk with God. I love that one. Um, she has another quote from someone named Wilson Misner, which I really like. He says, I respect faith, but doubt is what gets you an education. I really like that. And I, I think uh, my, my questions, my real questions are, when I bring them to the Lord is, is what's really given me an education. Um, 
there, there's another quote to just to have lots of quotes from Barbara Morgan Gardner. Uh, I, I may not have it exactly the way she said it, but it was, she was talking about Joseph Smith getting spiritual knowledge. And it was something like uh, cognitive the dissonance is the beginning of spiritual learning. And I love that. I was, she was saying in a group of students and you could just hear in the room, all the students going, Oh, <laughs> cognitive dissonance is okay. This is the beginning of your spiritual learning. Okay. Now we can go with the Christy Gardner quote. Um, and I like this one because uh, it kind of echoes Alma's idea of going from um, having faith about something to, to feeling the Lord has given you some knowledge about it, but then you've got to keep going and, and ask faith about another question about something else. And, and I think Christy Gardner uh, kind of encapsulate this with this wonderful quote, and I think it's Chris's turn again. Let's see. Christy Gardner, uh, what you hold lovingly in one hand as a question will ultimately move to the other hand as faith. Don't be surprised when the question in one hand becomes faith in another. Don't be alarmed when the hand left empty receives another question quickly. And don't be surprised if the questioning hand is holding many questions at the same time. I, I really like that image. Um, okay, I think that we are actually ready for questions from the, not questions, but insights from the chat or questions or whatever people would like to present in the chat room about how they nurture the word, how you deepen your relationship with the Lord, how you well, taste the I, white fruit. I'm seeing, yeah, Rebecca may uh, trade off or see more. I'm seeing uh, three different kinds of approaches discussed or described. Uh, one is a, a um, worshipful, uh, a, a uh, dailies, prayer, study, um, contemplation, uh, that uh, process. I, I don't want to shortchange any of these, but, I, but a second one is finding Christ in the faces and the lives of people whom we serve. Um, looking for, paying attention to what people we feel called to or moved to help, and in that help, in that process, finding Christ in, in them. Um, and the third is a process of um, perhaps listening or paying attention to the way God reveals God's self to us, um, not necessarily in ways that are predicted. Uh, perhaps in a flower opening or in a particular experience unexpected, uh, but looking to God to reveal God's self to us as opposed to seeking out a predefined image or picture. Um, I, I, I went fast there, but those are three different things. I, I really like that. I like all of those. I really like that last one in particular, because I think that has been my experience. Uh, when I was kind of in my junior high mode, uh, I had this idea that I will pray this and the Lord will respond this way. And this is exactly what it will feel like. Uh, but I have found that kind of a, a, one of the ways I can tell if it's the Lord is really speaking to me. It's something I never would have come up with. Um, but it's better 
than what I could have come up with, and it's truer to what I need. Um, so it's kind of that uniqueness uh, of, of, I think, God works with us in the narrative of our lives and, and in those surprising ways. Uh, and, and for me, that's, that's a characteristic of, of, of knowing that it's from God, is, is there's this surprise to it. I wouldn't have thought of that, but yeah, it's perfect. So uh, I really love that one. Uh, and I like those others, too, about, about God um, revealing himself to us and others and in our care for others. Um, I, I remember I had, had one experience doing initiatories, and I, I wanted to go into it feeling that um, the sense of, of women blessing me in the name of the Savior, that I could feel the Savior through, through women, women's words and women's hands and blessing. And I remember when going into it, that idea is how was I going to feel the Savior through these women? That was really important for me. And instead, I had the sense of, of each one of them uh, as I proceeded through the ordinance. There were you know, different women, and each one of them, I, I saw their uniqueness and their individuality. And, and I loved them, and I loved what about them was unique. And, and I thought it was so interesting that, that that's what I got is the sense of the Savior saying, you know, this is how you see me through these beautiful women and, and their uniqueness and individuality. So I, I really love both of those quotes, both of those comments. So Rebecca, have you got some more? Yeah, I'll just add, um, I think another one that's coming through, and, and this is kind of related to that last one where we experience um, kind of grace uh, through the narratives of our own individual lives um, and, and, and in different unique ways to us. Um, Another idea that seems to be coming through is that is that this comes to us as not just we are taking care of the marginalized and and those who we are um, inspired to reach out to, but as we feel God taking care of us. <laughs> um, so um, one of the comments is um, reminding us of. Uh, Christ's words, how oft would I have gathered you like a chicken gathers her chicks under her wings. Um, and that allowing ourselves and as we feel gathered and protected by, by God um, and feel his love and acceptance for who we are, that that's, um, that's how we uh, come to know him. Um, there are a couple other really great thoughts um, on chat that kind of fit, fit with that. That thought as well. Yeah, I, I, just to add, just to add there, the idea that almost seems upside down that in understanding God, knowing us, we get some kind of reflection back. We come to know that's a relationship concept, I guess. Yeah, I like I like that a lot. Um, some sometimes when we think, you know, how, how can God think of me in those, in those terms, in those, you know, wonderful, loving terms. Uh, but we can see the way we think about our children or about a good friend and think, well, obviously God loves them. <laughs> so yes, of course, of course he does. There's, there's one phrase that, that Amulek has, and he says uh, that the Lord is angry with us because when we don't understand the mercy that, uh, that he's given us through the sacrifice of his son. And, and I'm not sure I really like the word angry, but I, I can see that kind of sense of disappointment is God's disappointment when we don't 
receive what what we've been given like when we don't look at the brass serpent on the on the pole uh, when it's right there, uh, there there's so many times in the scriptures that Christ tells us to receive him I, I, I haven't heard many talks about that but it's all through the scriptures it's it's receive me I came into my own and my own received me not but receive me you know repent and receive me and I'll receive you it's this this reciprocal receiving that's just beautiful gorgeous in the scriptures and I think we should maybe spend more time thinking about that um, you know receiving Christ when he gives us himself and how does he give us himself and how do we receive him um, you know one of those questions to think about that, that can be expanded well, a, theme, a theme that's coming a theme that's coming through that I, I think because it relates to what you were saying earlier you may want to reflect on is is the idea or coming to understand that uh, God can accept us in our doubts in our anger in our whole range of emotions and questions and that um, that experience is um, I mean people are chatting and I will add my own experience that that is uh, that's an important way that we uh, may may come to know God or feel loved oh absolutely I think when I was going through my how can I give my whole soul to them uh, one one of the things I finally came to was the idea that that um, that I can't offer the Lord complete commitment um, all at once that's just not in my power but I can say I offer you everything that I am right now, all my weaknesses to be chastised, all my strengths to be used, you know, whatever it is I am right now, I'm offering for you to, to work with. Um, and and I'll, I'll be really good about the chastisement and won't complain. I'll, I'll be happy with it because I know that, that I'm learning something and, and I will rejoice in in all those other wonderful things as well and, and that's how I'm giving you my whole soul and so that um, I, I like that idea better because that's doable and I think that kind of relates to what you were talking about is is him acceptance and, and part of my, my sense of God's humility of the Savior's humility and almost vulnerability is that as well is that in all my imperfections that's what's upholding me and, and carrying me um, so yeah that's that's great so are there any more that we want to share are we we ready to any other comments there are we ready to say a couple of final things what do you think i, I think, think we're ready? i was listening too much instead of reading the chat so <laughs> <laughs> but i i think we've I, Rebecca, I don't know what you have. I think we have, in one way or another, we have talked about most of the things that are that are said here and in my read. Okay, then then I'll go. I, I'll share with you my favorite metaphor of of all the metaphors about how the Holy Ghost works with us, and it's it's C.S. Lewis's metaphor of Narnia. Is it's a country we keep returning to. Um, and, and when we're having these kinds of feelings and experiences, you know, however varied there are when we're sensing that God is really communicating us through the Holy Ghost, it, it's kind of like a country we are returning to. It's like, oh, here I am again. And, and when I leave that country, 
I, I may say, well, was that real? <laughs> Did that really happen? Is, is God really talking to me there? Um, but, but when we have um, another of those experiences, when, when somehow we go through the wardrobe again and, and we're back in Narnia, it's like, oh yeah, this is real. <laughs> and all those other experiences were real too. Um, and I really like that. I really like that metaphor. For me, that works. Uh, because whenever I'm having those experiences again, I, yeah, this is real. And all the rest of it was real too. Uh, but it explains how when we, you know, when we're back in, in the other world of, of everyday things, how we can kind of go, hmm, really? But, but when we have these experiences again, it confirms to us all of the others. Um, another thing about sometimes when I've had those kinds of experiences, um, I remember one in particular that, that I was thinking of that, that song from Oliver, who can buy this wonderful morning? It's like, oh, you know, this is, is really, really wonderful. Um, but also with the sense of gratitude uh, for the one who purchased all of our wonderful mornings, you know, what cost. Um, and so I, I believe he's real. I know he's real. Um, I've had so many experiences that, that I just can't doubt him. Uh, and I know, I know he loves me. I, I, I know that much about him and that he'll be with me and that he wants to communicate with me and that uh, anytime I have one of those questions I can go to him um, and that he's very happy with all the questions that I have I should never be afraid of the truth I should just ask him and uh, he'll work with me on that one so um, the song I picked at the end kind of reflects that feeling that uh, there's there's one phrase in it where it says uh it's called how, how can i keep from singing chris was saying it's a camp song he <laughs> so it's familiar but it's an old hymn and uh, it says no storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock i'm clinging since love is lord of heaven and earth how can i keep from singing um so that is why i picked that song is it, it I've, I've had that feeling that you know how can i keep from singing this is is really what the lord is giving us through through the savior and his atonement so um okay the song that was how can i keep from singing by a virtual choir from the new from new york city featuring the grace chorale of brooklyn the first unitarian congregational society in brooklyn the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn, and more. We can't include music that is provided by others uh, for copyright reasons in our recording, but uh, this is uh, music and a link that you should be able to find and that we will try to include with uh, when we post a recording. We now will uh, be uh, honored by a closing prayer by Esther Ayalani Kandari. Esther was born to a mixed Asian-American family, raised on the beautiful eastern shore of Oahu, Hawaii. As an artist, her work reflects this rich multicultural upbringing and often draws upon Polynesian symbols and cultural ideologies. Her work is primarily figurative and explores concepts such as multiracial identity, gender, and the female gaze in the context of religion, and the nuance of human psychology that could be expressed through portraiture. Many of her portraits break the fourth wall, with their direct gaze and challenge the viewer to engage with the subject on an intimate level rather than merely observe. The foundations of her painting are traditional in nature, but her meticulously crafted multimedia applications infuse the final works with a unique, innovative, 
and Captivating Edge. Her academic research and written work complement her visual artistry and serve to enrich and inform conversations related to race, gender, and LDS doctrine. She has a BFA from BYU-Hawaii, an MFA from Liberty University, has studied at the New York Academy of Art and interned with Joseph Brickey. Her work has been exhibited, purchased, and published in cities across the country, including New York, Chicago, Salt Lake City, and San Francisco. She currently lives in Utah County with her husband, Stephen Christiansen, and an ever-growing collection of miniature cacti. Esther? Thank you. Um, our dear Holy Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather together, albeit virtually today, to ponder on the words that we've been given, to grow in our humility and our faith and in our global discipleship. Please help us to be able to be able to know how to share that goodness and light with those that we come in contact with, both physically and virtually at this time. Please help us to remember the communities that we are parts of and to reach out to those who might be feeling alone and to be the hands of our Savior and of our heavenly currents. We're grateful for the bounty that we have, both spiritual and physical, and us to recognize and rejoice in those things. And we say these things in the name of us and Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And thank you to everybody who participated today. Thank you very much. Uh, we invite you to join us next week for a lesson from Nathan Kitchen reading from Alma 36 to 38.